been probably the most popular one uh, that we've done. And so, um, you know, I'm always trying to like figure out why that is and stuff. And I figured it out. You want to know what it is? The bumper music, right? So then I'm thinking, well, what kind of song could I do? How many of you guys know Lowrider? From, from, yeah. So I'm thinking of a, so- a message. So I'm going to come up with songs and I'm going to figure out messages to go along. So, ay, 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 all right. I, I like that song, Lowrider, right? That's a good song, right? Huh? How, how about this one? How about this? How about you know the song, If You Want to Be Happy for the Rest of Your Life? Come on, raise your hands. Don't be ashamed of that. I played that at our, our uh, uh, what's the thing after the wedding? Not a divorce, no, not that part, but the, the reception. I played that at the reception. You want me to sing it? How many, how many of you don't know that song? So it says, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, don't make a pretty woman your wife. Take it from my personal point of view. <laughs> Get an ugly woman to marry you. <laughs> so that's this is Pastor Dan's sense of humor. So my, my wife, uh, we've been married, what, 26 years? And so, uh, so it's all good. And she just smiles and shakes her head. And some of you ask me privately, Does your, are you like, and it's like, yeah, it's the, it happens in our house. So pray for us, all right? Okay, danger zone. That's where I'm at right now. Uh, so inside, none of that was scripted. It was all free of charge. Probably will be edited out of the, the video and also the second service won't hear it, all right? So hey, inside your program, you'll find an outline to follow along today as we look at today's uh, message. Um, and I want to kind of jump into real quick and then we're going to recap and then we're going to go through the message. So at the very top of your outline you find in a thought that I want to throw out to you, I shared a little bit with you last week, and that's this, that when the devil wants to corrupt you, he's going to corrupt you through your thoughts, okay? And so I want you to just to kind of hold that as we're talking about the danger zone. In week one, we talked about flattering, self-flattering ourselves into being kind of deceived and this kind of self-deception in our life. Well, today we're going to kind of take it a little bit further Um, as we dig a little deeper into it. Um, There is a world at war, and it has nothing to do with what's going on in the Middle East, uh, although that's not good. Uh, There's a war that's taking place for the minds and the hearts of humans. And there's good, and there's evil. And the evil one wants your mind. He, He wants your kids' minds, he wants your grandkids' minds, and he wants your mind. And He wants you, if you're a believer, He wants your mind. And we need to recognize that right on the front end of it. Because I think as we kind of tie this thing up today and then we'll end next week with it, I want to just kind of bring that into your attention that oftentimes we find ourselves in a dangerous place because our mind is in a dangerous place. And our mind has been, as Paul's going to say, has been led astray. Now it doesn't have to do with your salvation. It has to do with your mind, that your mind has been led astray because the enemy wants your mind. Because if he can get into your mind and tweak the truth slightly, then he is ultimately going to get you into a bad situation in a bad place. So with that being said, let's recap real quickly of where we've been over the last several weeks. Oftentimes we enter into a dangerous place and we know it. There's signs that says danger, keep out, caution, slippery when wet. And when we go into those places, we recognize that so we're cautious. 
we're a little bit concerned about what's taking place. Number two, the longer that we live in the, in the danger zone of self-deception, the more difficult it becomes to see. And I added a word in there uh, in each of these because we're going to tie it into this message. And I, pray, my prayer is that, that this truth will kind of wash over you and you'll see it for what it is. And that is the area of denial. So uh, we get into this dangerous place, we don't see it. We're, there's, there's, there's a denial that's taking place. We're denying the reality of where we're at. And then it goes on and says, and we believe that it will not harm us. So the longer that I stay in the dangerous place, it's like I'm denying that I'm even in that dangerous place. And so that there's this idea that, that I'm in denial, but then there's doubt that begins to play in. And someone will come alongside of you and say, hey man, you know what you're doing isn't good. Your attitude, your actions, if you keep saying and keep doing, I don't know how the marriage is going to work and the kids and all this stuff. Hey, you know what? I've been doing this my whole life. It's not a problem. Right? And so there's this idea that it's not going to harm us. There's doubt that's been planted. And then it goes on and it says, and the more that we're in that area of danger because of self-deceit, the more that we believe that we're right. And when someone comes alongside of us and says, you know, you say you're a social drinker, but come on, man. I mean, every night they're dragging you to bed because you're, 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 you're all tore up. Oh, I can stop anytime I want. Right? There's, there's this idea of deception that goes in. And then typically there's this big pushback that says, you know, you're just, you know, you're, you're just trying to steal all my fun. You're a control freak. You know, you, you need to get out of that 2,000-year-old book and you need to get into the 21st century. You need to have your mind illuminated. You need to be inspired by the culture of the world and you need to just get on with it, right? So, this is where the dangerous place that we often find ourselves in. 2 Corinthians, we're going to bounce around a couple different passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me give you a little uh, background story and then we're going to jump into it. Paul is writing to the church. This isn't unbelievers, this is the church. He's writing to the church of believers. He feels that he is the spiritual father of them. He looks at the, the, the members, the, fa- the fellowship of the church, he looks at them as, their, as his spiritual sons and daughters. And so that's the relationship in which Paul has. He has this idea that he is their father, they are the, his children, and so he has this concern for him. And he writes in, in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he says this. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealous. Now this is jealousy. This is not a bad one, this is a good one. Okay, and, and, and you see in your outline, it means that he feels that he has been given a God-given responsibility to keep them, to guard them, to protect them, to preserve them. And so this idea that he has this jealousy, he wants to oversee them. He wants to make sure that, that, they, that they remain in a safe place, that they don't get hijacked and taken into a dangerous situation or into a danger zone in which they're going to be devoured. In fact, if Paul's view of it as of the church in Christ, he sees the church as the bride 
And he sees Jesus as the bridegroom. And he wants to keep the church pure. He wants to keep the church in in reality as a virgin, not two-timing, not introducing the world system into it. But he wants to keep the church pure because he believes that the Lord is going to return for his his bride and and the church is going to be taken up. And he believes that. And so he has this jealousy in him to want to protect the body of believers. Because Paul recognizes, and this is what I want to come back to, that first idea, because Paul recognizes that Satan is a corrupter. And he wants to corrupt you. And he wants to corrupt your family. And he's going to do it through your mind. He's going to get you to buy into stuff that you otherwise would push back. And I'll say this now and we'll get into it in a minute. It's not 100% wrong. It's just 99% right. And we don't see it. And we think, well, how could that be? I mean, it sounds so true. It sounds so right. In fact, and many will say, and it feels good. So how could it possibly be a problem? And Paul recognizes that how he's going to corrupt the church and how he's going to corrupt people is he's going to do it through their mind. He's going he's to kind of intercept into their mind and he's going to begin to hijack their mind and take them in a, in a wrong direction. Verse 3, Paul says, For I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, and we'll get to that at the end, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion. And this is where I want you to kind of camp out for a half a second and realize that as Paul's speaking, he's not speaking to like a fringe group. He's not speaking to people that are like, "Ah, I'm not sure if I'm in or out. These are people who are passionate Christ followers. These are people whose heart is completely sold into the kingdom and to the causes of Christ. In fact, he uses that word sincere. And it means to have a, it means more than a single mindedness. It means to be fully hearted devoted. So as he speaks into the lives of these people, he recognizes that even the ones that are like the most committed has the potential of finding themselves in a dangerous place. As the enemy comes in, through the mind to kind of lead them astray and take them in a path in a, in a wrong direction. Number one in your outline, you tend to turn into what you think about. Do you agree with that? You tend to turn into what you think about. We looked at this verse before, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, for as he thinks in himself, so is he. Right? As he thinks for, uh, in, uh, within himself, so is he. <clears throat> your thoughts are the father, pay attention, your thoughts are the father to your actions. You don't do anything without a thought. Your thoughts are the father of the actions. In human behaviorists, they will say this, and I kind of just narrowed it down to four ideas real quickly, and you can just write this on the side. Here's what they understand about humanity. That what your mind attends to or thinks on, it considers. That's why when you sit in the, in the living room and you want a bowl of ice cream, 
Your mind is on it. And so you are considering it. Right? Is that how it works? They also recognize that what your mind isn't attended to or thinking on, it dismisses even though it may be true and good. Okay? So, let's take it with the food thing. Vegetables. Vitamins. If your mind isn't thinking on that, you don't consider it. Because it's not there. So what your mind thinks on, you begin to consider. And the longer that you consider it, the more likely you will believe it. Okay? And when I say believe, doesn't mean like a heart conviction. It just means that you're getting ready to move into action. Okay? You're ready to get up and walk to the freezer and bust out the ice cream. Because your mind considered it. Okay? And now you begin to believe it. And then ultimately, the fourth step that they lay out is that what your mind considers, it believes, and the longer you believe it, the more likely you will do it. And this is why Paul says, for as, he, or as the Scripture says in the Old Testament, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And this is why Paul understood that if your mind was hijacked, Ultimately, it's going to lead, in, lead into actions and behavior in your life. But I'm committed to Christ. And he's going to say, and that's the thing that you need to be concerned about. Because you have the potential as pure, devoted followers, sincere followers of Christ, you, you have that, the potential, all of us do, of being able to be led astray and heading in a wrong direction in your life. Verse 17, Ephesians 4. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And and basically what that means is, it's the idea that you shouldn't live with the values of the world. I said this at the very beginning of the series. We enter into a dangerous place when we allow the values of the world or where we we accept or embrace the values of the world and we invite them into our life. If we allow the values of the world to determine what's right or wrong, you are going to be in a big mess. And so he says, don't live as the Gentiles. Don't invite the, the values of the world to come in and begin to live by those sets of values that the world has. And he says, in the futility of their thinking. Right, The world's values, and you look in your outline, the, uh, fertility means emptiness, it means, having, uh, it means without having the right values. And he says, don't live that way. Don't allow your mind to go into that area, embrace it, pull it in, and begin to live. Because the reality is, you are going to be living your life with the wrong set of values in your life. And it all starts... Because the enemy wants to corrupt your life and he's going to do it through your mind. And he's going to get you to consider, to believe, and ultimately to act. Your thoughts are the father of your deeds. And he's going to get you and he's going to hijack you and you're going to be heading off in that wrong direction. Verse 8, Ephesians 4. 
They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life uh, of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now let's just kind of stop. So here's the way it plays out. I think on it. I believe it. I begin to do it. As, as my life draws farther away from the principles and the conviction of the Spirit of God, I become less sensitive to the Spirit of God speaking into me. And this is where it becomes incredibly dangerous, where you'll get somebody and they'll be right on the edge. And you'll say to them, hey man, if you don't back away, that, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go bad on you. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's not going to harm me. Look at I'm going to jump on the edge right here, right here, right here. And they're going to get right to the edge and, and they're going to live that way. And see, here's what, here, here's, what, here's what Paul is saying. That prior to that, you would get to the edge and there would be something in you that would say, be careful, caution, you're heading into a danger zone and you would back up because you would sense that that's not a safe place to be. But because your mind is in a wrong place and you have kind of pushed away and your heart is hardened to the Spirit of God speaking into you, you're going to walk right up to the edge. And you're going to jump. And you're going to doubt. And you're going to deny it because you are deceived that you are in a danger place. And then when it gives way and you hit bottom, you know what you're going to scratch your head? You're going to scratch your head and go, why'd that happen? Because you went through all the stop signs that God had placed in front of you. And their heart gets hardened and they drift away. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to uh, sensuality as indulging in every kind of impurity. And if you go under the, the last part, it says continual lusting for more. And it's the principle that this, sin is progressive. It's never enough. Right? It's pretty quiet in here. Right? It's never enough. And you, you, you think about folks who are involved in pornography. You think of people who are dr- involved in drugs or people who are alcoholics or have other types of addictions in their life. It didn't start off as some kind of... Uh, it started off as some kind of little innocent little thing. Hey, have a beer. Okay. As I often say to my kids, I've never met an alcoholic who's never drank a, a glass of alcohol. C- call it whatever you want to call it, it's true. I've never met a person who's hooked into pornography who set boundaries in their life where they would refuse to look at anything that's inappropriate. Right? And, and so what happens? <laughs> you just go right over the edge. They go right over the edge and they head off in the wrong direction. And then they sit back and they go, why? And sin's progressive. It gets worse, it gets worse, it gets worse. I need more, I need more, I need more. Because it's never enough. It's never enough. And what started out as this kind of little innocent, hey, what's the big deal? It becomes a major problem in a person's life. So what's the answer? Verse 20. You, however, did not come to know, and you can circle the word know, Christ that way. Verse 21, surely you heard, circle the word heard, of Him and were taught, circle the word taught, in Him according to the truth. So you have know, heard, 
taught in truth. All of them are pertaining to the mind. Right? All of them are pertaining to the mind. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Because your mind is in the wrong place, your heart has become hardened, and now you have these desires that you cannot control. That you cannot throttle back. And they just keep desiring more, 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 more. So what's the remedy? Verse 23. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. You take off the old, you put on the new. We looked at that in a whole series last year. And it's all in your mind. The important part of understanding that your mind takes you off, your heart gets hardened, and off the edge you go. And Paul is concerned as he's wanting to present the church as not a two-timer, but as a pure virgin to Christ. And he's concerned that those who are sincere in their faith are going to be led off in a wrong direction. Key truth in your outline, when God wants to change you, He's going to change you by the renewing of your mind. He's going to change you. Just as the enemy is going to corrupt you through the mind, Jesus is going to transform you through the mind. Okay? How does the Spirit of God speak to us? In our mind, right? How does He transform us? Through our mind. How does He calm us when we're nervous? Through our mind. How does He give us the power to overcome? In our mind. And it becomes important that we understand that that's how He works. Just as the enemy wants to hijack our mind, so He wants us to have our mind solely and completely on Him. Now back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Number two in your outline. You must not listen to self-deception or Satan's lies. And here, let me just tell you this. They are one and the same. They are one and the same. So the deceptions of yourself are that you have bought into the lies of the enemy. And so they are one and the same. And so you need to recognize that. And this becomes so important in your life, when you think of family members that are off in the wrong place, in the wrong direction, have wrong set of values, the wrong set of beliefs, and they're making horrible choices, guess what you need to start praying for? Their mind to be enlightened to the truth. Right? And so, self-deception and lies from Satan are, are the same. Verse 4. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or we receive a different spirit from the, uh, from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. So we have a, another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. They sound the same, don't they? But they're lies that the enemy brings into our life to get us off the track of where we need to go. And Paul says, listen, when these guys come in and there's a different set of values and there's a different Jesus and a different spirit and a different gospel, you need not to listen to the lies that the enemy is behind. Because his desire is to hijack you. In fact, in verse 3, Paul begins to explain that to us. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived, 
by the serpent's cunning or deceptiveness. So we go back and we think about how was it in Genesis that Eve was deceived by the serpent? Well, let's take a look in your outline. Here it is, letter A. He's going to deceive you the same way that he deceived Eve. The very first one he's going to do is he's going to plant doubt into your mind. He's going to plant doubt into your mind. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? And he's going to put a big question mark on the truth, isn't he? And you know what? When we're in the danger zone, you know what we say? We, we say, it's not going to harm us. There's doubt. That all the things that someone says and all the things that people have, have shared with you, it's like, it's not going to bother. You know, Dad, just relax, man. Just chill out. Get out of that 2,000-year-old book. Get into the 21st century and get along with it. And there's doubt that's been planted in them. Second one is denial. In verse 4, the serpent says to Eve, are you sure you're not going to die? Are you positive? You're not really in a dangerous place. It's not as bad as you're making it out to be. And so there's doubt. There's denial. And then the third one is deception. In verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what we say when we're in the, in, the, in the danger zone? I'm right and you're wrong. And we elevate our authority to be kind of like equal with God. And this is exactly what the serpent did to Eve. Now we sit here, and I had a chat with a friend of mine the other day, and we sit here today, Right? A few thousand years after the, the fall in the Garden of Eden. And, and we sit here and we say, you know, <laughs> is there any destruction because of sin? Is there? Are you kidding me? Is any of your bodies hurting right now? Does any of you have allergies? Are you wearing eyeglasses? Are you not able to eat food because it seems to stick around certain parts of your body? Okay, yes. Are there broken marriages? Yes. Are there kids who are going off in the wrong direction? Yes. You want to know why? Because of sin. And what sounded so appealing to Eve ends in destruction in people's lives. And isn't it true, and if you know a person, or maybe it's you, isn't it true, you sit there and the person's in the danger zone... And you go to them and you try to speak truth into them and they push back. And you go to them and you try to share stories with them and they push back. It's never going to happen to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of that old book. Get into the 21st century. we got drones that deliver pizzas now, Dad. Get over it. Right? And you sit back through the wisdom of the Spirit of God in the Scripture and you know that there's going to be a day where the floor gives out and they come crashing down. And then they wonder, what happened? Why did it happen? And it's so important for that truth to wash over us in our life that we recognize that when we're self-deceived, 
we've actually bought into the lie of Satan in our life. And he will go after you the three ways that he did in the Garden of Eden. He does not change his strategy. It is always the same. And you think about just in the, the, you know, the 21st century church of how we wrestle with some of the social areas of our, of our culture and how we're not sure how to, to reconcile some of the things that the world is saying, hey, we need to embrace, we need to accept. And there's this big pushback in the church as the believers are just kind of wrestling with trying to. And let me just say this. God's Word is right. It's never changed. It will not change. Cultures will change. People will change. Tribes of people will change. The world will change. But God's Word is truth. And when you build your life on the truth, it will not be shaky ground. The world may come against you, but His truth will stand forever. And when we as the body of believers try to reconcile it, and it's confusing and it's difficult, I get that. But when we start doing that, you've got to be very careful that you're not buying into 99% truth, 1% error. Because when you do, you bought in the whole lie across the board. Number three. The third principle is this. You have to get out of the danger zone and wise up. Quit pretending. Back to verse 4. He talks about a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. You need to recognize that that is a dangerous place to be. So here's some practical steps for you. Number one, you've got to understand that your mind is a battlefield and the enemy wants to hijack it. You've got to understand that your children and your grandchildren and your spouse and your friends and your co-workers' minds are a battlefield and the enemy wants to hijack it. You need to be serious about that. You need to begin to pay attention to what you allow into your life and what they're allowed, what's allowed into their lives. And so you need to understand that the mind is where Satan corrupts, but it's where God also transforms. Number two, the second idea is this. You've got to fill your mind with the Word of God. The only way that you're going to know error is by knowing the truth. It's the only way. And even then... That, you know, people who are really studious in the scriptures, there's things that they're still kind of struggling with and wrestling with. But the more truth you know in your life, the more you will discern where error is coming in. And you'll be able to discern that. The third thing is this cut the excuses. We've got to stop making excuses about the areas of our life that we're entering into dangerous places. Well, I can't change, and you know, it's just the way that I am, and you know, it's my dad and my mom, and if it wasn't for my grandfather, all that. Stop making excuses. By the power of Jesus and through the Spirit of God, He can transform your life. And so own it. Raise your hand, say guilty, and ask God's power to free you. And stop making excuses. The fourth thing is cut ties. You know, I, I hear, and, and, and you know, this is. <laughs> So I say, you need to speak this to the children. No, listen, I need to speak it to the adults. 
Right? Because we get around and we get into dangerous places and then someone comes into our life that loves us and it's like, dude, what are you doing? Well, you know, I got this buddy at school and you know, all this other stuff. It's like, so are you going to ruin your life because you got some buddy, you know, friend and college roommate and all this? Are you crazy? If they're keeping you in a dangerous place, get out of there. They're not your friend. With addicts, I would say this to them. Your best friend is your worst enemy. Right? Because you get addicts that say, oh, well, you know, he's got my back. and he's a... No, he doesn't. He's giving you more dope. Get, get real. They're your worst enemy. Don't think that you're, they're their best friend. Your best friend would lead you out of the danger zone. But misery loves company, Right? Right? And then we got a Boston song right here. So here's another song. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. <clears throat> Do not be misled. Boston's bad company corrupts good character. Right? It's true. So you've got to recognize who you hang out with. Yeah, but, hey, I don't. it doesn't matter. Either they lift you up or they tear you down. Figure it out. Number uh, the, the fifth thing is, Fill the void in your life. Oftentimes we enter into dangerous places because there's an emptiness in our life that we think that will fill our life and bring us satisfaction. Okay? Now I'm going to throw on a verse, and this isn't about alcohol necessarily as it is a, as it is a false god. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. In other words, do not allow false lowercase lords into your life. Because it will lead to debauchery. Instead, here's the option. Be filled with the Spirit. So it's so often in our life, there's a void in our life. We're in a dangerous place. And there's an emptiness. And so i got to drink it. i got to smoke it. i got to take it. i got to buy it. i got to have it in order to fill the void that's missing. Fill the void in your life with the Spirit of God in your life. And then the last one is this. Come back next week. Otherwise, I'll be here all by myself. (laughs) Come back next week as we're going to look at the power of God in our life. And here's what I want to say as we kind of wrap the series up. I believe that through the power of God in our life, we can be transformed and we can break any bondage that the enemy places in our life. It, It doesn't matter how long you've been a slave to that sin. Jesus and the power of His blood and the power of the Spirit in our life can set us free. The issue is, do we recognize how to receive and to live our life through the power? And the question to that, you'll have to answer for yourself. But I believe that the majority of believers don't recognize it. They know that that power exists, but they're not sure how to actually implement it into our life in a practical way. And so we want to have you guys come back next week. Now let me give you this thought and we're going to close. Every place in life, your finances, your marriage, your professional life, every area of your life, you have in your mind what you want it to be. If you're, if you're getting close to retirement, you sit back and you think about what retirement is going to be. And you have this dream. 
of what you want it to be. If you're raising kids and your kids are small, you have this dream of what it's going to be like when they're 18 and 20 years old and 30 years old. You have these dreams, right? Listening? Well, you get there. You get there on a, on a road or a path. And it is choices that you make that will ultimately get you to that destination. And those choices are your thoughts. So just because you want to be at a certain place in your marriage doesn't mean you're going to get there unless your thoughts begin to take you down that path. Are we following? So as you look at areas of your life and you have this vision, you have this dream of what you want it to be, it's going to sink or fail or sink or succeed based on your mind and your thoughts. And this is, and I can't emphasize it enough, and this isn't, you know, think good thoughts and good things come your way. That's not what I'm getting at. But I just want to share my heart that your thought process and who has your mind is so important. Is so important. God transforms you through your mind. Satan corrupts you through your mind. Who has your mind as you look at your life and where you want it to be? Who has your thoughts? I know the church answer. Jesus. And I'm going to push back and ask you this. Are you sure? Do your value systems line up with the world or with Scripture? It's that simple. Because if your value systems line up with the world, that's what you're making your decisions on. And if you make your decisions based on the values of the world, it's going to lead you to a place of destruction. Right? If you, make the, if you have the, the Word of God as your value system, you're going to make decisions based on the Word of God. Your mind is going to be on the Word of God. Your decisions are going to be on the Word of God. And the destination in which you will arrive will be a place of peace and joy and you will meet Jesus in the midst. Who has your mind? Let's pray. Father, as we come today, and we know that the church answer is, you have our mind. But Lord, we have to be honest. We are bombarded with the value systems of the world. And we get led away so quickly, and our enemy works so smoothly in our life that we actually are convinced that our minds are right and our values are right. God, I just want to hit the pause button in my life and in the folks' life here today. God, may your Spirit speak truth into our life. Lord, if there's areas of our life where we've invited the value system of the world, God, may your Spirit just scream in our hearts. And Lord, may we be obedient to turn from it to flee from it, to stop making excuses, and to own up to it. And Lord, my prayer is through this week, the upcoming week, that God, your Spirit will continue to speak loud and clear into our life.
that you will transform us through your mind, through our mind, and through your spirit. And we give you praise. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, my hunch is that all of us have friends and family members that are making wrong choices, destructive choices. Let's lift them up. Lord, through your spirit and the power of Jesus Christ, God, may you begin to illuminate those minds of our friends and our family members that are making wrong choices, that are living in that dangerous zone, that have been deceived, that have doubts. God, may you free them from that. May they see you and your truth. May they see your way as not a way of punishment, but a way of peace and joy. A way of fulfillment. Father, may you remove the blinders in their eyes and their heart that they would see you. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory for what you're doing in the lives of those that we so deeply care about. It's in Christ's name I pray. And all God's people,